listening to Chill Spot Radio. Mental health, especially amongst people of color, has long been stigmatized, inadvertently keeping our people from accessing and reaching mental well-being. This podcast aims to transform stigma into strength. Your hosts work in the mental health field, bearing in their experience within the mental health profession. We thank you for your time in this brave space. Welcome to the Chill Spot Radio. Uh, this is episode eight. This is your host, Jared, your co-host. Dr. Alan Lipscomb, welcome back. And today we have two guests um, from Black Girl Magic. Uh, we have Dr. Wendy Ashley, and we have uh, the uh, Director of Field Placement here at Cal State Northridge, Jolene Swain. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So we wanted you on today because we've been talking about uh, mental health for people of color. And we know that you two have been, I'm not exactly sure how long, but running the Black Girl Magic group um, on campus. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, organization or the group? Jolene, you want to start? Sure. Uh, (laughs) I'll start. Thank you. Um, well, it started, we started the group, Dr. Ashley and I started the group um, about four years ago, four and a half years ago. Um, I am entering into my, um, my sixth year at, at Northridge in the Department of Social Work as the director of field. And um, <clears throat> I came um, from USC School of Social Work and there um, they had a black caucus and I was, um, involved in the Black Caucus at, during my 20 years at USC. And I guess I'm a firm believer, I guess I'm gonna say I'm a firm believer and there's something to be said about sameness. Um, although I wanna say that um, I am very inclusive, but it's important to see and connect with people who look like you. And so um, I think that Dr. Ashley and I were just on the same page because I don't recall her reaching out to me or me reaching out to her, it feels like we just came together on this idea. Yeah, I would I would add to that. So I've been, this is my 13th year at CSUN. Um, and I would add that because I went to USC, um, definitely I remember being very clear how different I was than other people in the program. And one of the things that I think was very helpful to me was to have other black women who, who I didn't ask for, they found me <laughs> and they said, we're gonna help you and we see you and, and you matter. And, and I didn't know where it came from. I was thrilled to have it. Um, and, and so that was, that was really instrumental for me um, historically in having support and mentorship but then fast forward to CSUN, you know, I, outside of Jean Daniels, who, who just died a few years ago um, and generationally was very different than I was, there, there was really not anybody else there um, who was another Black woman. <laughs> I was very much alone for almost the entire 13 years. So when Jolene, when you came to, to CSUN, I was like, oh, look, <laughs> I have some support and some solidarity. And, and, and I think that part of the, the evolution of this was all of these sort of pieces but the other was that these, these, these women, these students were finding their way to our offices and saying like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm seen and I don't feel like I'm understood. And, and, and even worse than that, I feel like I'm the target of microaggressions. 
Um, and those stories and those experiences resonated for us because we had very similar experiences and stories. So I think that that's kind of how um, the idea of uh, the creation of Black Girl Magic um, was originated. How many years has it been, Jolene? It's been three, hundred? Four, four and a half, for, for sure. If not, maybe five years. Maybe we started the year I got there. Um, and, um, and, and I agree with you. I, there is no way that I would have been able to navigate, manage, stay sane at USC had it not been for Dr. Francis Capel mm -hmm. and uh, Professor Rose Montero. Um, yeah. They too embraced me um, and, and supported me in one, being there. I was the first uh, black field faculty that was hired at USC and that was in 1995 to join the field faculty um, there. Um, I had no idea about what it would be like to be a social worker in academia. Practice world, yes, but not in academia. So it had not been for those two, um, those two women, um, African-American women, embracing me and coaching and mentoring me, um, I would not have survived 20 years. Yeah, there was, I think that the other piece that you're, you're sort of talking about is that undercurrent of nurturing and caregiving, right? That there was, there is, there is the, there is the guidance professionally, like Rose, I think Rose said to me, Rose Montero said to me one day, um, don't, don't show any body parts. And I was like, I'm sorry, am I showing any body parts? But, but this was her guiding, right? Like, like she was very clear about how to carry myself in the classroom, how to carry myself. Cause I didn't know, I had never been to graduate school before. I had never been a professional before. So, you know, being able to go into Francis's office, um, Francis Cable's office, being able to, to talk to, to Rose Montero on the side, those were, those were huge. Um, and, and that caregiving was big. So I, I think that what we realized collectively um, at CSUN was that our students not only were, were not having that opportunity, but, but the other side of this is this, is that in my role as the associate chair, my responsibility has been to um, do the, um, the um, uh, what is it called? Oh my God, what's the PARC stand for again? Um, the Professional Perform Academic yeah. Review Committee. There it is, sometimes I forget things. Um, but the professional academic review committees are, are when students are struggling, whether it's academically or professionally. And what we noticed in my first couple of years as the associate chair was that a large number of those students were um, people of color. Um, and so those, what, what I felt like that translated into was our administration was interpreting some of the struggles of these students as professionalism issues. Um, and so that, in addition to our own experiences, I think led us to say, let's, let's not be punitive, let's be supportive. <laughs> both personally and professionally for these, for these young women who um, are struggling in a different way than the rest of the CSUN community. And, and, and you all mentioned something uh, before I was able to, well, not able to, but before I jumped in to ask a question about how does this relate to mental health? Um, it sounds like just having somebody there that looks, looks like you keeps you somewhat sane. Um, so that you're not there alone, you're not the outsider, um, and you have somebody that's got your back to keep you uh, pretty much um, in line and meeting those expectations of that uh, white culture that dominates this field, or did at one point. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I would also add that I don't think the diversity and inclusivity is just about numbers, right? It's not, it, 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 you know, what Jolene was talking about was about representation. And so I do think that that matters to be, to be reflected. But the other side of that is that I think that um, the, the part that's in, inclusive is about belonging. And so, so our connection with these women was, was to provide an honest, um, an honest safe space where they could be transparent. Um, and they could talk about um, their struggles. And we were able to really differentiate between which parts of these are automatically experiences of being microaggressed or, or not feeling like you belong or not knowing how to show up professionally, right? So we were able to provide guidance and accountability and support um, because you know most of these women were not struggling with, with, with mental health diagnoses. They were struggling with not being understood. What would, what would you say, Jolene? You know, I agree with that. Um, and yeah, now I wouldn't say that they had, you know, underlying mental health diagnosis, but when when you when you are in these type of environments and you start to second guess yourself, then I think that's the piece that starts to mess with your mental health. When when we talk about um, a sense of belonging, but also seeing people who look like you, walk like you, talk like you, um, at least for me, what 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 that helps is like you don't have to do so much you don't have to get into all this explanation all this explaining like oh i meant that or did you not hear it that way you know for me those are the things that um that can kind of unbalance you in terms of mental health you know um not clinical diagnosis but it's like i'm now i'm second guessing myself i don't know um and so there's some things that we don't you know, as, as Black people, we don't have to um, explain to one another. You know, um, we just kind of know and we can give that nod to it. And I think that's, that is the supportive piece. Um, that's the helpful piece that gives me a sense of belonging. It's like one more time, I don't have to think, you know, I'm the outlier in the room, why is everybody else thinking this way? So I think that's where the mental health piece comes into, you know. Um, into play in all of this. That when I hear you, when you say something, I hear you and we're on saying we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. You the both of you are, are are talking about it, but I want to take it one step forward for those who are not familiar with this. What would you say is the format of the group? What would you say is the size, the location of the group? So we scheduled, I mean, initially our, our plan was to meet, how long were we meeting? Like once every few months? Um, twice a semester. Yeah. Twice in the fall, twice in the spring for an hour. Yes. And we, and we told the students initially that the purpose would be to provide them with support personally and professionally as they navigated the program. Um, it's funny, right before you asked the question, I was thinking to myself, I should probably mention what the format was, right? Because we invited, we went, we, you know, we looked up all the, the um, uh, self-identifying black students. Um, we also included those that identified as being multiracial if they, if they identified even a little bit as, as um, black um, or African-American. Um, and the, the meetings themselves were held on campus uh, in, in one of our, our classrooms and we gave them food and it would be at lunchtime and it would be for an hour. And I think that those pieces are important because we fed them 
and whether they had their lunches or not. And we gave them a starting time and an ending time. And so they knew that they had that period, even if they didn't say anything, they knew that they had time to just be, be seen, be validated, be acknowledged. Um, and so we would, and we would have anywhere between three and like seven people. And it'd be a mix of like online students, full-time, part-time, the, the gamut. And so were the online students able to like zoom in or they would come in person? Um, some would or come, phone in? Some would come in person. Those who were close enough to campus would come in person. And I think only one time we zoomed in a, a, a few. Um, and it was during the universal, what you would call a universal um, lunch time for, for graduate students, you know, we get that that two hours or hour during the day. And so we had we did it during that time. Um, I also want to say for at least for me, um, me being present also um, demystified my role or my presence in, in the program. One being um, Dr. Ashley taught them in class. So some of them who had her in class got to see her and got a, a good sense of her, feel for her. For me, I'm, I'm sort of behind the scenes and hidden as the director of field. And so when people have to interact with the director of field, it's almost interacting or the analogy is going to the principal's office. So <laughs> being part of the group was helpful for them to have one-on-one um, -on -one contact with me that was out of the context of I'm doing, you know, there's something wrong or you know, the academic piece of, you know, the field practicum. So that, that was good. And there was never, there was not another avenue for me to present myself that way um, to, to our students because I, I don't have a teaching appointment. It's very limited to, so. Although I, I love that you said that because what is interesting about this group of students is that I almost never have them in my class except that last group a couple of years ago, I have not, the majority of the, the women that we, we work with, I have never known in any other context. They don't get my classes. So, so I think that what that does is it positions me as in a place where people can develop their own narratives, right? I'm light-skinned. Maybe she doesn't think she's black. Maybe she thinks that, you know, maybe she doesn't, you know, she's, she's not accountable for this part of herself. Like, I really do think what was happening is that these white students would love me. They would say, oh, we love Dr. Ashley. And then these, these students of color would say like, well, I've never even got her. I don't, I never, I never. And so I would see them all at graduation and they would be so nice, but I would have never had them. So I think that there was, there was something about this venue, this platform that offered us both a chance to be real people with a group of students that might not ever have had contact with us differently. Such good, good points that the two of you are making, which, which brings me to my next question. How do you, or how did you make it an unapologetically black woman space only as I know there might have been other students who did not identify as a black woman wanting to be a part of, as like an ally or, you know, wanting to be in the space. How, how did you go about navigating that, the two of you? You wanna go, you want me to go? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because sometimes when the caucuses and the groups put out an announcement, they will put it out to the social work department. We didn't do that. And we didn't do it purposely because we wanted it to be an invitation from us. Um, and, and, it, and I think it might've come up um, 
remember a couple of years ago when a couple of our students were, I don't know if you remember this, Jolene, but a couple of our students were talking about going to Black Girl Magic and another student was like, oh, I want to go to that. This was a non-Black student. And, and they shut it down immediately. No, no, this is not for you. <laughs> Um, and we never had to deal with this. We never had to because the students were very protective. Even if they didn't go, they weren't telling other people about it. It was really their respite. That, yeah, that's exactly like we, I was going to say, the student, it's almost like, you know, that that phrase or that, that way that the group takes care of the group, takes care of the group. Yes. The group took care of the group. We didn't have to, we didn't have to do that. And, and we didn't, we just, we targeted just those students that we were looking to connect with initially. So. Yeah, I, I love that, that invitation only, which, which can be affirming and validating in that you all see them and they yes. don't have to try to seek you out and, and look for you. I think it's also important to note, and I don't know this, but I'm assuming this is not advertised on our website. This is not, there's not a social media group on Facebook or Instagram. It is very much a small, sacred space that is invitation only. Yes. Yeah, and, and just to answer your, just to re respond to your previous question, we, we were not setting out to exclude people. We were, we were intending to include people. Like that was our deal. And it just wasn't yes. everybody because our sense was that the, the students who were not black students, um, the students were other students of color, had different kinds of supports and resources than our black female students did not have. Yeah, I like that because um, so many times when we, we start these group for uh, black people only, you always get this exclusion question. Um, and I, it, it always makes me wonder how often we're trying to get included into things. And the second we first exclude something, you know, people are upset. Uh, we got a, um, a note on the, um, the, the M3 room saying, you know, it's okay to be white. Um, as if we were excluding anyone when we weren't, we were just trying to provide a, you know, place for people of color to come and uh, be able to do their their homework to meet with mentees or to meet with an SSA intern uh, so I very much understand what you mean in in regards to that you know it, it's protecting it it's protecting it from uh, that unneeded um, harassment or, or questioning about why this group doesn't uh, isn't open to everyone well, and it, it fires me up when that question comes up. It makes me so upset because so much of the world is unavailable to any of us. All four of us on the call don't have access to, on the podcast, don't have access to a lot of schools and programs and clubs and job positions because of the fact that we are black and we don't have the same, you know, the, because of the way the systemic racism and white supremacy operates. Like this is the, this is the result of that. So it's such, it's such an interesting dynamic that the second we say, actually, it's just for us, there, there are questions about that. Um, and you're right. Our job was not to, to exclude. Um, it was to validate and, and, and connect with um, a group that was pretty much silenced and invisible within our program. Yeah. And it, that it's, yeah, the fact that we're still excluded from things uh, a little bit more covertly, but um, it's not that long ago that, you know, the, we had segregation signs here in the United States. So 
yeah, it gets me uh, kind of fired up as well. And, and I want to say too, it, it speaks to um, it speaks to the arrogance, yeah, of the dominant culture, you know, um, uh, about being excuse me about being excluded, you know. Whereas you know, um, BIPOC people have always been excluded, um, and <clears throat> so it 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 um, and so until we shed that arrogance, you know, how dare. You know, I say, how dare they say, you know, um, how can you have this when we have so many examples, living examples of where we get excluded, um, where we have been excluded and continue to be excluded, you know, if we really want to, you know, talk about that. And again, it wasn't to exclude, but it was to create a space for us to come together. And before we, you know, we, and my thought is like, before we get to taking care of allies and all these other folks, like we need to spend some time with ourselves, you know, um, and that was important, you know, for me as well, you know, um, to create that kind of space too. Like we, we do enough of taking care of, let's focus on, on ourselves. And very much needed, uh, you know, undoubtedly black women are, um, quite possibly the most oppressed, overlooked um, individuals here in the United States. Uh, for so many years, Black women held up Black men because, you know, they were most often the ones to be killed and uh, during slavery or lynch during Jim Crow. Um, all the while, you know, they were unable to vote because just women in general weren't able to vote. Uh, but they were also getting the backlash of being black. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think we take into consideration most of us. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't expect the dominant culture to know our history to that um, of the degree, but to know that you know um, how um, historical. Um, trauma of slavery impacted black families, um, um, relationships between black men and black women, um, how it, it um, set up this matriarchal structure, family structure, um, and, and how it, it, I think, put a sense of, put some type of burden or de defined a meaning of black women needing to be strong yeah. Which, you know, um, I think is detrimental to mental health, to many Black women's mental health, because without a, um, a different narrative, they've bought that, that concept of needing to be strong, um, and it's become who they are um, as women. I would agree. I mean, I, I think that it's not only, it's not only slavery creating these dynamics, but epigenetics tells us that we carry this stuff still. You yeah. know, Joy DeGruy has done some amazing research that really shows that, that we are still acting out some of the same behavioral or relational patterns in our families now that, that served us during, during slavery times, just because that's, they, they live in our genes because the system of oppression has not changed. It's changed forms, but it's still happening. I mean, I think that stoicism, right, that, that idea that we have to be strong, that we have to bear it all, that we have to take care of our families, uh, is, is a huge barrier to, to mental health and wellness. And, and what it does, I think in the classroom specifically, we translate this into black girl magic, 
what it what happens is it it sets our students up for silence right so a microaggression happens and they can't say anything about it a teacher mm -hmm. calls them the name of the other black girl in the room and they can't say anything about it and then these conflicts occur and they are immobilized because they know how much work it took to get here that they are not willing to give it up to have a voice and so those kind of dilemmas and those kind of dynamics were the kind of things that we were able to validate and coach and mentor around because uh, they they continued to cause uh, struggles for the for the students. What yeah. does what does the support look like, if any, after they finish the program? Right, because it's great they have this support within the the department and the program of social work. I'm curious, have you all followed the women after and what does that look like? Can you speak to that? Um, yeah, they, um, they, the first group, the first group started, we have um, like an internal group text, I should say. And as, as new folks come on board, they get added into that text. But we've gone out for dinner, lunch, tea, it, it's, it's ongoing, you know, nice. but I, and, and what I like about it, and, and this is one thing that I, I learned from, from my mentor, is that it's always at the request of the, ment or the mentee. So it's always at the request. It's not, it's not Dr. Ashley and I said, hey, let's get together for dinner, da, da, da. It's when they like, they reach out to us and then we make ourselves available. And I think that's really important is key in learning healthy boundaries, you know, um, about seeking support and help when I need it. You know, it's not Dr. Ashley and my need, you know, because we have to have our peer support but we are their professional peer support. So learning how to reach out and ask for it when they need is really, is one thing that my mentor really helped me understand. Those are professional boundaries, but it's also learning how to take care of yourself and getting your needs met. And so we are all, and I just, you know, I'm a firm believer. This kind of, for me, aligns with my belief in parenting or just relationships all around is that when you step into people's lives like this, you don't then get to step out. You remain there. But what does that look like? What does that continuity, stability, reliability, predictability, predictability look like? So when they text, we respond. They'll text and say, oh, I'm, I'm applying for this job. Should I take it? Do you know anything about this place? Boom. Dr. Ashley and I, we, we both respond back. So these are the kind of things that are important. It's like, that's what, that's the crux of relationship. You just don't step in and out of people's lives, um, even when they are physically gone. I love that so much. I, I agree. I mean, I think that, that the, the group was started for them. And one of the things that we do in the group while they're in school is we really use some of our experiences to not only validate theirs, but to identify some of the challenges that we experienced and how we resolve them just for purpose of dialogue. I think that what is great about when they graduate and they maintain, and this is their choice, right? They, some of them we don't talk to, but, uh, but a few of them we do. Um, and when they when they connect with us, I think that the, the shift is that even though so even though we have a relationship and we are still mentoring, 
we get to be real people. So we get to like, you know, we get to have a cocktail if we want to, not that we're doing that, but we could, because we have a different, different dynamic, which, it, and what is, what is consistent is that our level, our, our power is not the same, but they respect us the same way. So we can absolutely be of service in a way that is appropriately boundaried. It's like a, it's like a colleague, mentor, sisterhood of Black women social workers. It's, it's Absolutely. That's very yeah. powerful. Well, and the other, you know, I, I, just to go back to, to Jared's earlier comments about the oppression of the Black woman, I, I think it's, it's, and this is not a knock on you or any of the research that, that we do or that you do, um, is that you have been, people have been responsive to your, to your efforts to get funding. I have been trying to get funding for our group for years. Uh, I, I, I don't get approvals to do research. I don't get funding. Like I, I, it feels like the university sometimes is less interested in the lived experiences of black women on the campus enough to fund. Uh, and, and so that, that, is, that is frustrating to me. That is hurtful to me. So this personal, more informal sisterhood has been extremely valuable because it allows us to really do that even if there isn't money behind it. And, and, and I just wanna, if we think about Black sisterhood overall, it really hasn't existed outside of the sororities. Right. And you would have, you would have to attend it, attend it for the most part and historically black college in order for that to happen. And then it has to be choice. And then there's all kinds of rules and regulations about being able to enter. You know, everybody doesn't get in, um, even if you are black. So, so that's, that's one thing. But sisterhood, um, historically, is not something that we've done very well, again, because of historical trauma and slavery and what that set up between black women. You know, so who got to work in the house, who had to work in the fields, who has always been this kind of inner, inner group competition in a negative way that I think sometimes still continues to play out. Like we don't know how to play in the sandbox together. <laughs> and, and, and again, that, you know, that was always very hurtful for me um, to, to, to watch and experience. Um, and I, I'm, I'm one of three sisters and I have a complete, like totally bonded to my sisters. So I never understood it outside of what my lived experience was like, why isn't this happening? What's going on? You know? Um, and it, it, it really is this, there's some and there, I feel like there's some level of fear, but I think it's really about competition, about who's going, who's going to be the better, who's going to be best, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And just coming in to a, to a space or relationship where none of that matters, where we're just here to support one another, was, is important. I mean that com that competition seems natural amongst us, it, even on the male side. This the token is a coveted position. Um, oftentimes, there's only you know so much space when it comes to diversity, um, and it usually means just one of us gets hired to be that representation or that you know 
validation that this company is diverse. A real barrier. Yes, I got too too much like too much black. Yeah, you know, too much black overwhelms overwhelms folks because mm -hmm. of they're not used to that being in spaces, especially when you talk about white dominant spaces. Yeah. Well, and academia is the epitome of a white, especially in a PWI, is the epitome of a white dominated space. So you know, you see all four of us walking down the hall. That's a gang. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Even though there's, you know, there's nothing farther from the truth. That I mean, really, sometimes it's a different experience. Yeah, you're right. Walking down the hall, people respond to us different when the four of us is walking together. Either they feel like they're missing something, or there's a party without them, or or something. There's a there's a dynamic that is felt by the other person right. when they see multiple black folks together. Right. And, and that's a good point, Jared. I hadn't thought about it that is spilling over into this, like too much, uh, you know, token that, you know, that token position, that that could be it, you know. So um, so I, I, I like that, you know, thinking that way, because that's probably what it is. I've, I've often said to Dr. Ashley, wow, this must have been a lonely place for you. Um, I'm not sure I could have done it. But the truth of the matter is, but I, in some ways I did do it, but I didn't do it because I had Dr. Capewell and, and Professor Montero, but there was no one for you. So as I got there and settled in, there was no one. Well, so. and, and, you know, I think I, I did what the students do. Um, I'm a code switcher. Come on. Most of us have good code switching capacities. I grew up with a white mother. So my capacity to code switch is, is delightful. I'm good at it. Um, but, but what I learned is that my capacity to make it work in a very white world uh, made students look at me like I was not black because <laughs> I didn't have anybody to be transparent with. And, and I, I was too new to do it in the classroom. So it, it didn't show up. They didn't see me. And it wasn't until all of you showed up and I was like, oh, like here's my folks. But up until then, like really, I mean, you know, I, I, I was, it was incredibly lonely and, and I was tokenized all the time. Oh, it's fun. Let's go hang out with Wendy. She plays different music in her office or, you know, we can make these little jokes that really are microaggressions. You know, I, I think that there was a, it was a very lonely experience and I never felt as connected to CSUN the way that I do now, so. For sure, it matters. That's great. What What are some like future um, goals um, for Black Girl Magic? Well, I feel like I think that the beauty of Black Girl Magic is that it's organic, and me being more macro in my thought is like it's more grassroots. So it just it just kind of grows into, you know, at least this is the way I feel like it, it grows into we, what we allow it to grow into. And that, that means every single person in the, in the group. Um, and, and because the students graduate and move on and then a new group comes in, then we have to leave that room for it to be organic. So I, I would hate to, to, you know, put in structure where it's like this, you, um, you know, it looks like this or it looks like that. It's what what the what each person brings to the group. 
I think it can bring greatness because I feel like there's greatness in, in the room. Um, and, um, and so, but I agree with Dr. Ashley, I, that, you know, Dove and all these big foundations have put gazillion dollars behind research on white girls. They, they, they have building their self-esteem, you know, you know, body image, all this stuff, they've, they've done it. Um, and I just feel like if we could move to, um, you know, identifying funding to support this, um, it can grow. It, it definitely has the room to grow. Um, it, it definitely has um, the, everything that's being done for it comes out of our pockets, our personal funding. Um, which I know I'm a firm believer you got to spend money to make money, but you know, at some point you got to start getting back. But, um, but, and, and, and there can be, you know, I think it, it also what it could lead to, and just in my vision, is lead to building a stronger, and when I mean strong, I don't mean in strength, I mean probably more in numbers of Black social workers out there, which I know we are underrepresented. It, in these organizations where our people are being served. And, um, and so it could be a draw because they're out there, the girls that have gone through, the young women that have gone through are out there now. They can be the pipeline, pipeline to say, hey, you ever thought about an MSW? You should think about it and you should think about CSUN. I mean, those are the kind of things that, that's what we need. Otherwise, I, you know, um, why should we be the only black women, you know, in academia? <laughs> the, the, the truth of the you know, or the only one at our agency. That continues to happen. And this is to 2020. You can be the only black social worker in your agency. So that's because we don't have people out there that are kind of guiding and directing young women into our profession because it is female dominated, but it's white female dominated. I got so caught up, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, yes. Um, no, I agree with you. I think, I think that we don't wanna sacrifice um, the intimacy of the relationship uh, for, for putting all these policies and, and procedures in place that take away from, from that piece of it. But, but we would like some money because you know, we do spend a little money. I think that that COVID has made it hard for us to keep things going. Like we haven't reached out. We're, we're, we're the, our plan is to now reach out for this semester, but we haven't because everyone's overwhelmed and they're Zoom fatigued and it's a right. lot of work. But we also think that everyone is struggling in a different ways, particularly Black women right now. So there is there is a need. Um, but I just think that that because it is just us. Um, and because it is intimate, it is incumbent upon us to keep it going. I think we're both very motivated to do that, but but managing it and navigating it. We, I think we need an assistant, Jolene. That's it. We need somebody to be our assistant to do <laughs> to do all the scheduling. <laughs> you you may you may get someone from from our from our listeners too. And also, I'm pretty sure our listeners are um, gonna want to probably donate. And so we can post with this if you have like you know. Cash App, a Venmo, or uh, email, or something that you want us to share. Let us know so we can post it with with this podcast. Um, post it. That is great. Yeah. 
That would be great. I was just going to say, I, I mean, like, wanted to thank both you, um, both of our co-hosts for inviting us on to give us, um, like, airspace. Like, this is a, this is a tentacle out into the world that we hadn't, you know, hadn't thought about. And I think the good thing about it is, is that since, since Chill Spot is part of M3 SSA, it's like, you know, black males supporting black females, which yes. is, is sent a great message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we would be nowhere without our black women as, as black men. And so wanting to make sure we are honoring our black women in, in not only this profession, but also in our society and community is important. I think the, the final question that we have is, what would you say to black women who are social workers, who are listening, who don't have the Black Girl Magic Group, who don't have a Jolene Swain, a Dr. Wendy Ashley. Like, what, what, what might you say to them? And for those who may want to start this, maybe they're inspired and they want to start a Black Girl Magic Group. What might you say to them? Well, I say this is to, to, to the students all the time. Um, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be Dr. Ashley but find yourself a mentor. I don't think that it is wise or healthy to go through social work, particularly social work, where we experience all kinds of vicarious trauma. We are frontline, we are essential workers now through COVID, um, where social work can also repeat that message of being strong um, as opposed to being resilient is like you have to have a mentor, like find yourself a mentor. And it's the mentee that chooses the mentor. So no one's gonna come and say, hey, let me be your mentor. That usually is not how it works. The mentee chooses the mentor. So I try to encourage people all the time and um, that that's what you need. You cannot navigate this by yourself. It is overwhelming at best and you know, a lot of the times and again, our institutions, even, and I mean our agencies where we're working, have not really significantly changed in terms of, you know, embracing, being, you know, open you, to, to Black women. It's not. We are passionate people, and they, that passion gets translated into anger. Mm -hmm. No matter how many times we've said it, um, for, those of that, for those of us who have our voice, there's an expectation you shouldn't have a voice. And so that, that gets looked upon in some kind of way. Um, they can call, they'll say you're not a team player. <laughs> you know, um, you do things differently. Uh, so you, you gotta have some support. You, you really do. You just, you have to do it. And if you're in a space where you can start a black girl magic, I say do it. Do it today. <laughs> no I mean, competition here. <laughs> right. I, I would say similar things. I mean, I think in addition to mentorship, you need a community. Like, I, I think that none of us can do this by ourselves. And, and you know, mentors are like partners. Like, you need people that you can trust. So, so it's not like it's a matter of like randomly you just choosing a room full of like giraffes. I want that giraffe. Like, it's a matter of finding the right mentor that that like speaks your language that you can be vulnerable with, right? There's an intimacy to it. 
Um, so, so finding, finding a community and that means at your job, that means finding somebody that you can go to. And, you know, we say this all the time, but supervision is meant to be a safe place. If supervision is not a safe place for you, then find someone that you can be safe with. Mm-hmm. We want you to be honest. We want you to be vulnerable. We want you to be transparent because those are the things that make you grow. Uh, and I, and I think, you know, just similar to what Jolene was saying, this is a racist world. 2020 is, is opening up some things that we already been seeing, but like that in a new way. So, so being stoic is not going to end up anywhere good. It, you need to be able to ask for help. You need to be able to be vulnerable. You need to allow somebody to coach you. You don't need to know how to do everything. Sometimes you don't have a voice because you've never been taught to use it. Sometimes you had a voice and you've been silenced. Uh, and so having people say to you, it isn't a matter of, of um, keying their car or sucking it in. Those are not the only options. Like there are 20 other ones and we can help you find those. So, so finding your people, finding your support, finding your voice, all of that, it, whether you get it through Black Girl Magic or some other way, find it. That's your job. And what you just said there kind of reminded me of supervision. Uh, I'm sure there is a ton of, uh, well, not just not just black black females, but um, but who have these supervisors that just don't understand uh, what they're experiencing and how that could be messing them up as well. And so I can see how Black Girl Magic can even be, you know, a place to discuss something like that. Oh, yeah. Being a person of color. Oh, sorry. No, um, this is how we look at power and authority or authority and power. And it's very difficult for Black students who have white field instructors, which most of them do because Mm -hmm. our profession, you know, embodies right now. It sets up a power dynamic um, that students who who are just budding social workers don't yet know how to navigate. Mm. They, they, they don't. And so again, that's what Dr. Ashley was talking about in terms of having this community. And I've watched it over and over and over again. And students will be silent because they, they understand how they understand it is that that field instructor then assigns that grade. Right. And so that means I, either I'm gonna pass or fail field. Um, and that, that relationship, that is never the way that relationship was meant to be that relationship was meant to be there to support you. It socializes you into the profession and then support you through your journey of learning um, year one and year two or year two or year three, depending on what program you're in. But it, it, is, um, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't happen that way. And, and people and we need to, students need to hear that, that that is a power dynamic that is, that sometimes is a very unfortunate um, for students for black students well I, I think that that is why also it works because jolene and i have a voice i have i have the chair's ear she has the chair's ear she is the director of field so if everyone around you is saying you're the one that's angry or aggressive or not performing and we say no what you have to say is valid that feels like it might be heard it might be relevant and, and so i think that 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 i guess that's been good for us um but you know, yeah. I think it's good for us, but I also think it's unique yeah. for us, um, and particularly at CSUN. And I think that's why initially, 
they don't really know how to use it because it's uncommon to have your director field be black and then your associate chair be black. That usually doesn't happen. It, it doesn't happen. So, um, and, and so I think that's also, it's like, huh, whoa. So they have to figure that piece out too, like you said, um, even in the classroom. So, but I think it's important and that therefore even crucial that Wendy, I, Wendy and I are the co-leads because we hold these positions, you know, right. part of our positionality in the program is in these, these uh, what you would call these um, administrative roles. I hear a workshop being made. <laughs> and a publication. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's get through COVID and then we can start that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I can so hear our, 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 our listeners saying, oh my gosh, I want to read up more about this. I love what they're saying. I want to mm -hmm. listen more about this, et cetera, get more information. So, we submitted yeah, to not, a conference, not, though. We did submit not to today, a conference. No, we did. The future. We submitted to a conference. We submitted an abstract about this. We haven't heard back yet. Oh, nice. Stay tuned, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we had more time to hear more about it, but um, you know, thank you for joining us both today. Yeah, really appreciate thank it. You. Honored. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's been it's been lovely to remind ourselves how exciting this project is. <laughs> and get to task. <laughs> right yeah. now, we got to get on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little a little nudge uh, to get it back going during this um, this quarantine time. Well, we look forward to seeing uh, how it blossoms and um, we well, thank you to the listeners and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Chill Spot Radio. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on our webpage at chillspotradio.com.